Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Galatians to start with. And as you're turning there, I don't know as you follow some of the things on TV or even on the internet about the COVID-19 virus, if you have um, seen some of the articles that have been written, and as you read the articles, they all pretty much say the same thing in this sense, that the virus has changed, obvious fact, just about every facet of our daily lives. I mean, our jobs, our schools, our entertainment, or lack thereof, our vacations, um, travel, our worship services, our relationships. I mean, it's hard to find, isn't it? I mean, really much of an area of our life that hasn't been touched by the power of the COVID-19 virus. And it might be an understatement at this point to say that the question in everyone's mind is when do we get back to normal? And the answer to that question is far more than obvious, actually. Far less than obvious. And it's ever-increasing group of analysis, as I've read articles, that say that instead of getting back to normal, it may be that we'll have to adjust at least to a little, for a little while longer, or maybe a lot longer, I'm not sure, to what they're calling as the new normal. Um, as one expert said, um, because normal is changing every day, one woman said that it's not the new normal, it's the now normal. Meaning, normal is changing every day, so we just have to worry about what normal is for today, the now normal. Uh, much less to think about the new normal. But, it, but the idea in all the articles calling the new normal is this. Every day is going to be different. And it's going to be that way for quite a while. As you might be well aware of that in some places in the United States and all around the world. Um, in places I talked to my cousin yesterday on Marco Polo. And he lives in Texas outside of Houston. And they made an announcement that Texas is trying to, and the term they use is reopen. They're reopening a lot of things, the state and the restaurants and some of the other things very soon. Um, But the reopening, at least in the articles I've read, comes with a warning. And here's what the warning says. There's going to be a reopening, but dramatic changes to daily life are coming. And then in the things I've read, it mentions some of them. That even though it might be a reopening, there are going to be places you go where there's going to be mass temperatures, temperature checks. That you're going to have to have the infrared temperature, you know, taken on your forehead. And before you can go in, you're going to have to prove that you don't have a temperature or the virus. Um, even going certain places that will reopen, there's going to be mandatory uh, use of face masks. I mean, if you go to a sporting event, even if they allow that because the numbers of people participating or attending might be too great. Um, entertainment, you go to concerts or anything else, you're going to have to wear a mask even, which I'm not sure how you're going to eat, but if you go to a restaurant, you're going to have to eat a mask. I mean, I don't know if you pull this out and put it, I don't know how that's going to work, but that's what they say. They're even going to say it's possible that the government is going to be allowed to monitor and track your phone um, because they may not let you into places with, with at least larger groups of people if you've been known to, by tracking your phone, been in area or contact with people in areas that are quote-unquote hotbeds for COVID-19. Um, schools, and we have a school obviously here at Faith Christian School, staggered schedules. They might have certain ages of students in the morning 
and then they'll go home and in a different age group in the afternoon. It might be staggered like that. Um, they may have smaller classes that will become mandatory at school. And I won't even go to all the details. They might even start rebuilding things based on the fact that they're going to have smaller uh, groups of people be able to meet there. Um, restaurants, uh, I read we're going to perhaps have uh, mandatory disposable menus. Um, people who cook the food and serve them will have to wear masks. Um, smaller seating areas, and they may only have maybe 10 to 20 people allowed in a restaurant at a time. If you are able to go, it will probably be limited travel in airports, that you're going to have to have documentation of your immunity, that you've taken, you've either had it, or when the thing comes out that you get the vaccine, that you've taken it, and you're going to have to prove all that. And, and, and again, without making it too scary out there, um, because the virus, things are just going to be different. And let me tell you this, and they're going to be different daily. And that's what people are calling the new normal. I want you to think about that tonight and the principle that's embedded in that concept. And I want to apply it to your and I's spiritual life. Because that principle, I think, is not only true for people right now um, during this event of the COVID-19 virus. I think it's true for believers when it comes to our salvation. That there should be a new normal, spiritually speaking, for everyone. And let me say it this way. Who's been infected and affected uh, by the saving grace of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, a new normal. Because as believers, our lives according to scripture, should be changing a little bit at a time every single day. When you became a Christian, I liken it to uh, a reopening of your life. I mean, you once were this way, you came to know Jesus, that's the event, and now there's a reopening of your life. It comes with a warning, though. Dramatic changes to your daily life are coming. And that's what it means to a, being a Christian. When you accept Christ, things, let me, hear, let me say, things don't stay the same. It's impossible. You get a complete life check. When you become a Christian, a new creation, we're going to see tonight, um, you get a new view of sports. You don't view them the same way. You don't play them the same way. They don't have the same power in your life. You get the same thing when it comes to entertainment and how you view education and why do you go to work and what your job is for and what really matters most and your values begin to change and your morals begin to change and your speech begins to change and on and on the list goes because when you become a Christian, every single day there's a now normal. There's a new normal happening. So your new life, will mean a new normal. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you'll understand that the New Testament authors communicated this very concept in numerous different ways. Um, Jesus told Nicodemus, and Peter repeated it in his epistle in 1 Peter 2, um, that you had to be born again. So there's a new birth. A new, a new normal means you've had a new birth. Another way... Uh, Paul says it is that you were adopted into God's family. So you have a new birth, you have a new family. And he says you've come from, Ephesians says you were dead in your sins and now you were alive in Christ and so you have a new life. And Paul said walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 4. 
Paul says to grow as a Christian in Ephesians 4, he says you put off the old man and you put on the new man or the new self. So the Bible is very clear that the new normal is when you have new life, things will change when you become a new creation. Interesting in the scriptures that that phrase that we're going to investigate tonight, new creation or new creature, as some versions have it, is only used by the Apostle Paul, and it's only used in two texts. The first being the one that I had you turn to um, from the beginning, and that is, if you'll be there now with me, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15. Let's start there. The other one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm looking at the Galatians one because chronologically it was written first. Galatians 6, let me start with verse 11 and I'll read to verse 16. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, Paul says. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might be, not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, and here's our phrase, but a new creation. That's the first use. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The other one... And we'll read that when we get there in a few minutes. Is found in, I believe, far more familiar to most Christians is the Second Corinthians five. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, old versions say, as I've memorized growing up, all, all, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's probably the most common one. But I want to start with this one because I want to show you how powerful and what it means to be a new creation. Paul puts it this way. In the verse I read to you, verse 15, let's focus on that for a minute. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, i I, I got to tell you, in America, in our day, that sentence probably doesn't seem to be very crucial, dramatic, powerful. But let me tell you this, people in Paul's day would have, especially if you were Jewish... That would have floored them. I literally would have knocked them down. Seriously. Not, let me tell you why. For 1,500 years before Jesus, the differentiating mark between um, telling the difference between a Jew and a Gentile was circumcision. I mean, it was given by Abraham, or to Abraham. And for all those centuries, 15 centuries plus, that was the distinguishing factor that marked off the difference between Jew and Gentile. It was the difference between being part of God's people and not being part of God's people. And it was a visible sign in the flesh of all men. You either were circumcised or you weren't. Now watch, Paul doesn't say circumcision doesn't mean anything, but uncircumcision does. No, he doesn't say that. Look what he says. Neither one of them matter. In other words, it isn't about the mark in your body, in your flesh. That's not any longer. Watch. Since Jesus has come, both of these texts about new creation are both centered in the cross of Jesus. It is the pivotal point 
for all of it. I mean, it is in both texts, Jesus dying on the cross and rising again is not only the dividing line in the middle of all history, but it's in the dividing line of the individual histories of everyone who's ever became a Christian. And what he says here is, for centuries, the dividing line has been circumcision. You're either in or you're out based on that physically. But it isn't a physical demarcation. It's not whether you are circumcision, circumcised or not. Neither one of those count for anything. I mean, can you imagine telling Jews, Jewish people, by the way, that doesn't matter anymore. You just wave your hand. That doesn't matter anymore. Just throw that one out. But that's what he's saying. It's not a visible thing in your flesh. You know what it is? It's your spiritual status that matters. Because the little word but is a word of contrast. You know what marks God's people off now? Is they are a new creation. They're not different in their flesh. They're different in their spirit. See, it's the invisible marking of someone Namely, in their heart, that makes the difference between whether you're part of God's people or not. Now listen, Paul's going to be really dramatic about this as I read it. He says that when you have this mark in your heart, not in your flesh, not circumcision or uncircumcision, but when you are a new creation, you're marked on the inside. But watch. But look where being marked on the inside and really being a follower of Jesus could take you. At the end of this text, in verse 17, he says, listen, you're, you're bragging and boasting earlier in this passage about the people that you're getting to be circumcised and you think that's the greatest thing. He goes, let me tell you, that's nothing. But let me tell you, when you have the mark on the inside, it could be that you get marked on the outside because persecution will come And suffering will come. And that's what he talks about earlier on. But in verse 17 he says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear in my body, he goes, you know what matters? Not my circumcision. But I bear in my body the marks, the stigmata, the marks of being persecuted for Jesus. And if you've ever read 1 and 2 Corinthians, they both contain lists of all of the persecution and beatings and floggings and stonings and so forth that the apostle Paul went through. And he said, let me tell you this, you know what sets me off as part of God's family? Not the fleshly mark, but the body marks that I have. And I can tell you, this is what makes me and fleshes out for you. If you want a fleshly mark, here it is. I've taken the abuse for Jesus. That's the distinguishing factor in my life. And so here's what Paul says at the beginning of our paragraph. He says, see, the new normal means you have a new boast. Verses 12 through 14, as he writes Galatians to combat Judaizers, people who said you had to have Jesus plus keeping Torah, keeping the law, therefore you still needed to be circumcised and you still needed to do certain things under the law. They were adding to the gospel, adding to Jesus in the gospel. And Paul was adamantly and vehemently against it, and he speaks out strongly. Galatians is known for probably being Paul's, one of his harshest, if not the harshest letter that he writes, because they were tampering with the gospel. They were adding to it by all their Judaistic tendencies. And he says, and on top of it all, they were boasting about it. And he, he says as such, in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh 
that would force you to be, they think, that, see, here's the appearance. Oh, you have Jesus, yeah, but you got to have this. And Oh, yeah, if you get circumcised, then you'll really be it. And he says that's what they're trying to do. They're boasting in that. And the reason is because they don't want the kind of marks I have. They want to get out of the cross. They don't want any part of the cross, especially if it means them carrying their own. But Paul says, again, verse 14, in contrast, but far be it from me, he says. I've got a new normal means you're going to have a new boast. And and, and this again, I know this is 21st century. But if you say this stuff in the first century, it will blow people's mind. If you say my only boast is in the cross, can I tell you this? Nobody in their right mind would start bragging about a crucified criminal. Nobody boasts in a cross. It was the most shameful, agonizing, torturous death. Everybody would have shunned it. They didn't talk about it in polite company. Even the Romans that inflicted it didn't like it. And here's what Paul says. You know what the new normal is like? That when you become a new creation, I mean, things have changed so dramatically and so radically in your life that you're boasting in things that the average person would be repulsed by. And that is namely Jesus who died on the cross to bear your sins. He says, that's my boast. Not in my flesh, not in how I look, not in something in the law like circumcision, He says, but my boast is in the cross. And he says, let me tell you how strong I feel about it. The little phrase, it says, far be it from me, is a little two words in the Greek, meganoito. And it's translated, and people struggle to translate it. By no means it's translated. May it never be in some Bibles. God forbid, King James says, of course not. Absolutely not. Out of the question. I mean, people... Try to, you know why? Because in the Greek, it is the absolute strongest way that you can express a prohibition, that you feel negative about this. You're denouncing something. We would say, and maybe this would be closer to our cultural vernacular in the 21st century, we would say, under no circumstances whatsoever. We might say something like that, or we might say, We want to say no in the strongest way. Imagine if John Coleman was on the screen tonight, and he was saying, we asked him the question, will the Eagles ever win the Super Bowl again? And he would say, in the strongest way, meganoito. He would say, may it never be. It'll never happen again. He would be adamant about that that was pure luck, and it's never going to be repeated again. He would be really strong about it. Now, times that, times about 20, and you'll get how passionate The Apostle Paul feels about this. Today we might say it this way, over my dead body. You've got to be kidding me. Uh, You can't be serious, we might say. This is the most ridiculous thing that I have ever heard of. Those are the kind of statements today Paul would be making. He would say, you're boasting in that, you're joking me, right? Because compared to the cross of Jesus, he can't imagine anything that would be parallel or equal to it. And so he says in the strongest way possible that the Christians only boast. Listen to this. The only boast is the cross. This is the new normal. And what does that new normal do? It changes our relationship to the world. He says in the strongest way, don't boast in this 
appearances, fleshliness, things of Torah. You know what? Here's why. Because when you're a new creation in Christ, verse 15, he says, here's what's true, verse 14. You have been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to you. See, it's a new normal. You don't see the world, anything in the world the same way anymore. And let me tell you this, it's very, very powerful and very specific about the lifestyle radical changes that crucifixion brings. Let me quote a couple for you. In the same book, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul says, and I'm going to do King James, I am crucified with Christ, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, He was crucified for me, and now I am crucified with him. That means his crucifixion includes my crucifixion. You see the new normal? It's not just Jesus dying for you. It's you dying with him. That means you cannot any longer have the same relationship to the things of this world that you used to have. You are dead to them, and the world is now dead to you. Do you see what a new creation really means? Why you cannot say that you're the same as you were before. It cannot be. Another one, and now this one's going to have a list with it. So watch out because this is going to step on your toes. He goes through in chapter 5, leading up to our text, in verses 16 to 26. And he begins to talk about the spirit and the flesh. We've already talked about it. It's not your flesh. It's not the circumcision, it's not the things of the flesh. And he enumerates a lot of them in this passage, and you're probably familiar with it. And then he says, if you're really in Christ, that's not how you live your life. You will be different, daily different in your walk, in your daily life. And he says, you're not going to be living in the flesh, you're going to live in the Spirit. And then he lists the, the things of the Spirit and all the fruit of them. And at the very end of this paragraph, that's where I want to point to, because it's the, the other time he uses the word crucified, here's what it means, Ready? It's not just in general that the world and you are crucified to each other. Here's what it is. Ready? Verse 26. And those who belong to Christ. Oh, yeah. See, if you belong to Christ, here's what is true of everyone. Not just really committed Christians like Paul. No. This is the new normal. Not the new abnormal. The new normal. And what does that mean? It means this. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, watch, with its passions and desires. So now you are radically different on the inside with what you want and on the outside with what you do. See? You don't do the works of the flesh because you have a new desire. You are not the same. And the new normal is... You are living out daily this, that you're mortifying the flesh, you're killing the flesh, and all the things that you would have normally, in the old way that you viewed the world, you would have lived that way, you would have loved those things, wanted those things, but now you live in a new world because you're a new creation. So a crucified, cruciform life is not to be considered abnormal, but normal. Living in the spirit instead of the flesh is the new normal. He's not done yet. He's going to continue the analogy right up to our text. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 6, don't be deceived. In other words, don't think that this isn't true. 
God is not mocked. He says, for whatever one sows, you're going to reap. For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit reap eternal life. He says, see, it's one or the other. When you're crucified, you're going to either, if you aren't, you'll go and sow to the flesh and you'll reap it. If you're, going to, if you're really a Christian, you belong to Jesus. And by the way, strong language in the last paragraph. If you, if you do the works of the flesh, he says right in the middle, verse 21, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, it matters that there is a change, that the new normal is taking place in your life, Paul says. It's either one or the other. It's either flesh or spirit. And you should be experiencing that change. I wrote down in my notes tonight, cruciformity to the world, not conformity to the world, should be the new normal. Paul does not know anything of people claiming to be a new creation who aren't experiencing the new normal. He doesn't know anything about people who claim to be new creations and their life is characterized by, not because anyone's perfect, But the pattern of their life is not cruciformity to the world, but conformity to the world. Paul says, I don't know anything about that. And so we ask ourselves tonight, and you can think of all kinds of areas. Sins of the flesh, the things that you wear, the modesty or lack thereof, music that you listen to. He always said in chapter 5 of Galatians, don't be drunk with wine, alcohol consumption, entertainment choices. I'm repeatedly shocked, to be honest with you, about the language that comes out of people's lives who say they're new creation because the words that they've used certainly don't belong to that world. But there's also sins of the Spirit. And that means this, part of the new normal is, remember, the inside, the desires. And so we shouldn't be people who are characterized by bitterness and unforgiving spirit and outbursts of anger and hatred See, none of those things should be part and parcel in characterizing our lives. Why? Because we are a new creation. We have a crucifixion that we live out every single day of our lives, he says. As you're taking your finger and turning back, if you would, to 2 Corinthians, as we finish up tonight, another thing that's common in both of these two texts about being a new creation, and it's... You won't be able to see it in the Galatians text that we just read because it's a textual variant. But there's good evidence that both of these texts have a little phrase, in Christ, in them. It wasn't apparent in the Galatians one, but it is a textual choice. ESV chooses not to put it in. King James and New King James and others choose to put it in. But it is certainly in the 2 Corinthians chapter 5 text. And it reads, and I'll start with verse 14 of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Again, cross-centered. It all comes from the cross. It is the dividing mark of history and of our history. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, purpose clause, that those who live, ready? Here's the change. Here's what part of being a new creation is. That you no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. So let me tell you, one of the radical changes in verse 17, we're going to see it. If anyone's a new creation, old has passed away. Behold, the new things have come. And one of those new things are this. We leave, we, we leave our 
behind or depart from a self-pleasing oriented life to a Christ-pleasing oriented life. You see what he's saying? And in this text, in verses 15 and 16, two are apparent, the other one is not, but the phrase no longer is repeated three times in verses 15 and 16. And the word constantly used in Paul's epistles is referring to, it used to be this way, but now it is not. Now it's something completely different. And that's what he's trying to say to us. He says that if Jesus died for your sins and you have him as your Lord and Savior, here's what's no longer true. You don't live any longer for yourself. In other words, it's not about you anymore. It's about him. You don't live as your main aim and ambition and goal in life to please yourself and do what you want. No, we don't live any longer, no longer for self, but for him who died for us. Jesus' death does not only change your destiny, it changes your direction, it changes your deeds, it changes your desires. As a Christian, Paul, and us too, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, verses 1-10, through 10, believed in life after death. And so he tells you about the tabernacle you're going to put on, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In verses 1-10, through 10, we love those verses, we're going to get a new body, it's going to be glorified, we're going to be with Jesus the moment we die, and we love that, we embrace it. But verses 11 through 21, where our text is embedded, means Paul not only believes in life after death, he believes in life before death. He believes that your life in Jesus doesn't just make sure you get to heaven when you die. It doesn't just get you to heaven. It gets heaven into you to the point where you don't live any longer for yourself. But instead, you live for him. So it changes your vertical, doesn't it? It changes your relationship and your attitude toward God. Now you're oriented around him being the sinner, and you're not the sinner anymore. So you know what that means, don't you? You think differently, and you feel differently, and you will differently about things. Why? Because you've taken yourself out as being the sun in the solar system of your soul, and now all the planets don't revolve around you anymore. They revolve around him. Now he's the sinner of everything. It's not egocentric anymore. It's theocentric that drives your life. And that's why then he says in verse 16 of the text, he says, from now on, and, and see verse 16 and 17, both are connected back to the text we just went over by the little word therefore in both verses. He's a building an argument. You don't longer live for yourself. The radical change as a new creation has happened. Now here's two implications. The first one is a, positive, a negative one, and the second one is a positive one. Verse 16, the negative one says, we don't regard no one. We regard no one according to the flesh. We don't evaluate people on appearances anymore. We don't use human measures of fleshliness or appearance or worldly perceptions of how we look at people. We used to do things that way, but now that the cross has come, listen, it's not only changed our view and attitude vertically toward God. Watch. It's changed our attitude and view toward people. I don't look at people the same. And and in in Paul's day, when he was a Pharisee, you were either Jew or Gentile. And that's how it was. He says, you know what? I used to do it that way. In fact, in the text, he says, I used to view Jesus that way. Verse 16. We regard him. Watch the change. No longer. See it again there? I've changed all that. The cross has radically and dramatically changed all of that. So I don't view people that way. I don't judge them 
by that way appearances. I'm not using those fleshly measures anymore. Positively, verse 17, therefore, because Jesus died for me, he says, if anyone is in Christ, there's our phrase, and all that that means, he uses that phrase 160 times in his epistles. I mean, it's a theme of his that's very dominant. Here's what he says. The old has passed away. It's already passed away because of his cross death. And look what it says. The old has passed away. Behold. Let me get your attention. We might say today, we might say, that's not the way we talk. Look or see. See? The new has become. This is very similar to how the Bible ends when Jesus says in Revelation 21.5, Behold, I make all things new. I don't know if you watched The Passion of the Christ all those years ago. Um, I know there's some things, theologically and otherwise, that are aberrant and in air in that movie, obviously with a Catholic background with it. But there's a lot of things that are pretty accurate and pretty vivid in that movie. And one of them that I remember the most is when Jesus is carrying the cross through the winding streets of Jerusalem to go to Calvary. Um, The Apostle John is trying to get his mother Mary close enough that she can be with him just for a few moments. And he finally finds a way and she runs up in the movie and she falls right next to him as he falls on the ground holding up the cross. And she doesn't really know what to say. And in the movie, he turns to her and he says this verse in Revelation 21.5. He goes, see, I make all things new. I thought that was theatrical genius <laughs> because he knew exactly what he was doing. He was making his cross, death, and resurrection are making everything new. And I point the similarity out in those two phrases because what I think they are is one is a trajectory toward the other one. Paul says if you're in Christ, the old things, the old world, the old order, the old way of your life has passed if you're in Christ. And here's what's true. And he says, look, see? Everything has become new. Here's what he says. And someday, it'll be completely, perfectly new. That's where Christians are headed. There's a trajectory. We've started the new normal. And that new normal someday, as we get to know Christ and we end up in heaven, and someday there's going to be a lot of new things. Revelation is full of new stuff. A new name, it says. You're going to have a new name. There's a new Jerusalem. You're going to sing a new song. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And see, that newness is going to come to completion someday when we are perfectly new. And the new normal will be new for eternity. That's where you're headed. And see, that's why if you're in Christ, there is a radical change. There is an old you and now there's a new you. Can I say it that way? It's a total reconstruction of your life. Let me close with this. I, I can't remember the name, but, but here in Hamilton a few years ago, there was a restaurant, and I had gone to it one time, and I went in there, and it was okay. I mean, it wasn't so great inside looking, and then you sat down, and someone told me it was really good, and so I sat down, and I ordered, and I got the meal, and I thought it was a little expensive, but, you know, maybe it's going to be really good, it'll be worth it. And I got the, it was overpriced, 
and overrated because it wasn't so good eating either. So, it, you know, like a lot of other places in this building, I mean, the restaurants came and go like crazy there. And then one day I saw out there this big sign across the restaurant. It said, under new management. And I go, ooh, that's good. And so I waited a while, and finally they had reopening under new management. And I went in, and I, I had high expectations. Wow, these are going to be some amazing changes. I go in there. It looked exactly the same inside that I did before. I sat down, and I'm telling you, the prices hadn't changed, and I'm not sure the chef had changed, or, and definitely the food hadn't changed, because I couldn't tell there was new anything going on there, much less management. And it was really disappointing. And I thought about that, and I'm wondering, I wonder if that's how Jesus feels. I mean, when you get saved, and you become a new, he puts under new management in your life. But you know what, he, you know what should be true? That when he is Lord of your life, when he's in control, when his cross has invaded your life, can I tell you this? It ought to be new, a new menu, a new chef, a new look, a new everything, inside and out. That's what the Bible says it means to be a new creation. And that is the Bible's new normal. It's a different attitude vertically. It's a different attitude horizontally. Everything is new when you're under new management. And I want to ask you tonight, as you consider your life, is that the trajectory that you're on? Are you daily experiencing the new normal as what it means to have someone had the Son of God on the cross be the center of their history and of their life? If not, why not? Let's pray. Father, the new normal. We, we don't know what that's going to be in America. But because we have the Bible, we do know what the new normal ought to be in our life as believers. I pray tonight that those who have been under the sound of my voice would not only hear, but heed that challenge. That they would examine their lives and say, Father, I want the new normal to be true of my life daily. And maybe because of that reality, there's some changes, some dramatic, perhaps radical changes that need to take place. I pray that you'd give us as God's people that humility and that hunger to want to walk in that newness of life. I mean, Paul said it so clearly in a verse we often forget because Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 goes before it. But verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. New creatures live differently. Help us, Lord, to do that the more. We pray in your name. Amen. Lord bless. Thank you so much.